This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, coming to you from Gadigal land. And this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. This week, all political eyes are on the by-election in the Victorian electorate of Dunkley. There's talk of truth trucks, trustworthiness, and whether the government's changes to the Stage 3 tax cuts will have cut through with voters. Well, we hope to get a good result in the Dunkley by-election, and everyone in Dunkley will know that we wanted every single taxpayer in Dunkley to get a tax cut. It's also kind of a litmus test for opposition leader Peter Dutton. He seems to be gaining ground on Anthony Albanese. But how much can polls and by-elections actually tell us at this stage in the election cycle? Today, I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Head of News Mike Tisher about why we can't rule out Peter Dutton as Australia's next Prime Minister. It's Friday, the 1st of March. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Gabs. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. The essential poll this week was not great news for Labor. What do you think that says about the coalition strategy? Um, Well, I think it says that the coalition is at least competitive. It showed that the coalition was ahead with 48% of a two-party preferred vote. Labor was on 47, also ahead on primary votes. On the other hand, news poll still has Labor ahead on two-party preferred votes, but their primary vote dropping. I mean, I do think you've got to be careful not to overinterpret midterm polls. Many voters aren't even paying any attention at this point in the electoral cycle. And the fact that there's so many independents and minor parties in the mix now means the whole two-party preferred thing you've got to sort of think about in a different way because, you know, the makeup of the parliament at the next election might be entirely different. But all of that said, Peter Dutton came into his job as opposition leader and he has just plugged away at very gradually shifting his image so that he clearly wants to be seen as strong, but he's trying to soften that very aggressive image that he had when he came in. And I think the coalition is competitive. I think that's the most you can say. People are giving him a shot, are considering him. You know, Dutton and Albanese are not that far apart in personal approval ratings either, which is really interesting. Mm. So uh, Labor certainly has to pay attention and take 
Peter Dutton's strategy seriously. Just to go back to the, the overall poll results, I think it's important to remember to go back to the election result, the federal election result, and remember how poor Labor's primary vote was in mm. in the actual election. Like That was a terrible result yeah. <laughs> historically, 32.5% primary vote. The um, essential was, was not much more than 30 Resolve and news poll have been a bit higher, sort of 34, 35, but it's still bumping along at a pretty low level, even though they won government and could still win government again with that, with that again. But it just kind of goes to Lenore's point about how the electorate is fractured. You know, the, the yeah. votes for independence and others are so much higher. And, and we have to look at polling doesn't... differently because of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I did want to bring up one part of the essential poll that we haven't talked about yet which is that there were some also less conventional metrics of popularity measured. Anthony Albanese beat Peter Dutton by 11 points on the question of which leader would you most like to have babysit your children? Neither. The answer is neither. (laughs) But only by eight points on which one was more likely to stop and help if your car was stranded, which is like there's a three percentage point gap among people who are okay with Peter Dutton helping them with their car but not with their children. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how people make those judgments, frankly. Oh, I thought that was a really interesting, actually. And, you know, we've got a real live poll coming up on Saturday night in a by-election, which will be a test of exactly this, but a proper electoral yeah, test. Yeah, the Dunkley by-election, as Lenore's alluding to, is on Saturday, Mike. Why are people paying so much attention to this? Uh, well, everyone loves an actual election, don't they, more, more than a poll, just to overinterpret and draw extravagant conclusions from (laughs) Never. (laughs) It will be interesting. I mean, obviously you should not read too much into uh, any single seat election, but this one will be perhaps more interesting than some, A, because it might be close. It's a seat that Labor had won for the past two elections at a particularly popular local member, and it's in Victoria, which has been a very particularly bad state for the coalition for quite some years. But it's also in the kind of, more or less the kind of area where Peter Dutton has been focusing the coalition's message. So he will hope to find some evidence that that's working. Obviously, Labor will be hoping to hold on to the seat and they will hope that the the legacy of the former MP, Peter Murphy, will, will carry them through. But equally, even if Labor lose, I think, or even if they win, you wouldn't want to read too much into just one, one by-election result. But I do think it is a kind of litmus test seat more so than some other by-elections because it's exactly the sort of seat that Peter Dutton wants to win, where cost of living is really biting, where the kind of competing messages on cost of living are being tried out, if you like. Um, you know, the stage three tax cuts passed this week. So, and, you know, I think it was two-thirds of the voters in Dunkley thought they were a good thing. So Anthony Albanese and the Labor Party are going in with, we're doing something about the cost of living. Peter Dutton is just trying to channel that sort of protest vote. If you're mad about cost of living, if you're mad about your personal circumstances, blame Anthony Albanese, it's his fault. And we're in that point in the electoral cycle where he doesn't even have to have any alternative policies to address cost of living yet, like it's not normally expected of oppositions yet. And and by and large, the coalition doesn't. So it's sort of that cost of living electoral mood in a suburban heartland seat contest, which is really interesting. Mm. And Labor will be able to argue, and no doubt will argue if their result is not as good as they hope, that 
A, the tax cuts haven't taken effect yet, so people may know about them but haven't seen them in their pocket. And also other cost of living measures they've taken. You know, interest rates may come down shortly. Wages have been going up higher than the rate of inflation, but not for very long and not by very much. So all of the measures that they have taken, people have not really felt them yet. And so clearly that is still the major issue that's motivating people. And there's a bunch of expectations management going on towards the end of this week, like absolutely. I mean, Anthony Albanese was trying to say that, you know, the average swing is 7%, so the seat was losable because it's on a margin of 6.3%. I mean, that's cutting the figures in a certain way. You know, average swings at by-elections around 5 to 6%. This is at the seat held on 6.3%. So really Labor should win this this by-election. It would be a blow for Labor when they've come back into the new year, energised and with, you know, with the mojo back, if you like, it would be a blow for them if they lost and it would be a, a, an absolute fillet for Peter Dutton. But they're trying to pre-spin, if you like. Mm. Just still on Dunkley before we move on, we have reported that there's been a very big campaign by Advance in that seat. What does that look like on the ground? So Advance is the sort of third-party campaigning outfit that was very influential in the voice referendum on the no side. And this is the first time that this sort of re vitalised advance is being tested out in a broad election context. You know, advance has been around in previous elections, but they really didn't quite have their act together yet. Now they really do as a sort of social media outfit. And I think our reporter Josh Butler wrote this week that they're spending more than the Liberal Party on social media ads in Dunkley, not as much as Labor, but more than the Liberal Party in 30 days to 22nd of February Advance's main page and a page that they say is election news, but like only the news they like, spent $25,000 boosting its Dunkley-related posts. Now, the thing about spending on social media is you don't actually have to spend that much to get a pretty big impact, particularly in a by-election where it's sort of just in a particular geographical area. They've also got, you know, those rolling billboards going around, like they call them truth trucks. I mean, that's a tactic that's been around since the 80s or 90s, right? Remember, we always had debt trucks and stuff. However, in a by-election where there is a restricted area for them to drive around, again, it gets that message out. So I think this will be really interesting just to see how that very aggressive, very sort of fact-free, emotional social media messaging works in a broader electoral context, how it translates over from the sort of binary of a referendum campaign. Yeah, that does give them an opportunity to concentrate their message. But it's interesting to think back to when Advance was founded as a sort of right-wing equivalent of GetUp, which at the time, I think it was the 2019 election when they first came to prominence and seemed kind of absurd and irrelevant. They were sort of following people around in superhero costumes and stuff. Yeah, Mm. and directly challenging GetUp rather than focusing on on Labor or Greens policies. But now it feels like GetUp has sort of run its race to some extent and has not been a particularly effective player, whereas Advance, well, it remains to be seen. They say they had that impact in the the referendum, but we'll see. They they certainly seem to have thought through what they're doing much more carefully and borrowed some tactics from elsewhere and 
yeah, we'll we'll see if that has a, a bigger impact. And they're both. I mean, both sides are sort of fundraising off the spectre of advance. So Labor sent out a fundraising email to you know all of the people on their email list saying advance was trying to buy Dunkley for Peter Dutton and please give us a donation. And then advance sent out a message to everyone on their email list saying Albo's hit the panic button. He's running scared. They're so rattled. They've written to all Labor members warning them that your powerful advance campaign in Dunkley is about to overwhelm them. So the activities of advance have really sort of infiltrated their campaign on both sides. Mm. Are the coalition messaging on anything other than the cost of living, Lenore? Well, the coalition generally and also advance in um, Dunkley has been trying to make ground with the whole issue around the release from detention of asylum seekers. And there was an ad in the Herald Sun newspaper this week that claimed Anthony Albanese had unlocked the doors of immigration detention and let loose 149 criminals, including rapists. Now, we know that that isn't true in those terms. They're trying to push this line. There's no actual evidence that it's having huge traction in Dunkley, but I think the general line about Labor not being able to, sort, you know, not being able to be trusted with the borders is one that will flow till the next election. I mean, when, what was it, you know, 30 asylum seekers showed up in Western Australia, Peter Dutton declared that Anthony Albanese had lost control of the borders. So I think that will be an ongoing line of attack, whether it's particularly influential in Dunkley or not. It's really interesting that Peter Dutton hasn't been in Dunkley very much and he hasn't been, you know, running that negative campaign that we know him for. Is is that a deliberate strategy? Well, I mean, I'm not inside Peter Dutton's mind, but I think having an attack vehicle like Advance that sits to one side means that Peter Dutton, who's personally in his own image creation, his aim is to look more prime ministerial, to get rid of the sort of head kicker image that he had when he came to power. Clearly, Labor knows that that's his weakness because every time anybody in the Labor Party mentions him, they use the word angry. So clearly that's still showing up in focus groups as a negative. But if Peter Dutton can just, you know, do the very calm, measured Peter Dutton persona that he gives, but there's another sort of slightly arm's length group that's doing the really, really hard attack messaging, well, that works well for him, doesn't it? Well, as you said in the beginning, Lenore, his approval ratings have been steadily increasing. You know, when he first came to power, there was a lot of commentary that he could never be prime minister. Was that, does that now seem... People said that about Tony Abbott. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's foolish to ever write off anyone who's the opposition leader and say they could never become prime minister because clearly they're only one election away from becoming prime minister. And, you know, we've seen some implausible opposition leaders, some of whom haven't have become Prime Minister, um, like Tony Abbott, who, you know, was kind of written off by some people, not everyone. And it's always a really dumb mistake to do that because anyone who's got that high in any either of the two major political parties should is going to be potentially a force to be reckoned with. And and he's proven that he's not stupid. He's disciplined. Very disciplined. He decides on a message and sticks to it. His party, at least his part of the coalition, (laughs) has been on message, disciplined, haven't made too many stupid mistakes. The National Party we've discussed (laughs) on recent pods, maybe not quite so disciplined, but um, he's in charge of his party and he's 
you know, it's a grind. You know, he started from very low poll ratings about this time last year. I think was his was probably his lowest after the Aston by-election, and I think particularly through the referendum campaign. That kind of gave him some momentum then that it was dragging the government down, even though, you know, he's not out to make people love him. He's not going with the smiley, I'm Mr. Warm and friendly. <laughs> but um, isn't they not winning, but they're, do, they're definitely competitive. They're, they're in there. Yeah. And, and I'm sure Labour aren't, aren't writing him off by any means, given the state of the polls and probably weren't from the start, but it certainly wouldn't be now since he's shown in the past year what he can do. He says he doesn't have a two-term strategy to win back power, Lenore? He says he has a one-term strategy. Can he win the next election? I think it would be unwise to make predictions about the next election at this point. The factors that we know going into the next election are that the cost of living pressures are likely to ameliorate slightly by that time, that Labor has at least one budget between now and then where they're going to do a lot of things to address cost of living pressures. Uh, We know that the electorate will, at the next election, have to also consider the coalition's policies, and some of them are policies that might be quite hard to sell when you look at them carefully. For example, the idea of having nuclear reactors dotted around Australia might, when people kind of look at that carefully, not be a vote Winner, So there's a long way to go between now and the next election. I think the most you can say is it would be very unwise to write Peter Dutton off and we should all pay attention on Saturday night. Next, reporting stories and changing minds. Hey, Jane Lee here with a quick note about The Guardian. Guardian Weekly is the only place you can receive The Guardian's independent journalism in print in a magazine that gets delivered to your door. It covers global news, long reads, the environment and more. The Guardian's offering new Australian subscribers 12 issues for $12, which is 90% off the normal price. The offer's only available until the 11th of March. So just search Guardian Weekly subscription to find out more. And for the full terms and conditions, head to theguardian.com forward slash weekly terms. Thanks. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Uh, Lenore, what was it for you this week? So it was a story that came out of the inquest into the death of an Indigenous man, Kumanjai Walker. He was shot by policeman Zachary Rolfe. And the thing that really struck me about the inquest this week was some emails or text messages that came to light from a journalist to Zachary Rolfe just two days after he shot and killed Kumanjai Walker, where she said she could write an article in your defence because... I know what you did was totally warranted. 
she did then write articles uh, about the case for the Australian. Now, Rolf was found not guilty in March 22 on charges of murder and manslaughter. So this is now the inquest. And, and I guess we also need to say that the inquest is ongoing. So there may be more evidence to come out. But I do really think on the basis of the evidence so far, that is a very unusual way for a reporter to approach a story. Mm. Mike, what can't you get out of your head? So mine is a very long-term thing that I can't get out of my head, which is the US election mm. in November. <laughs> At the weekend, I was listening to a podcast with the New York Times columnist and broadcaster Ezra Klein suggesting that the Democrats should consider whether Joe Biden is still the right candidate and whether it's even now not too late to choose another candidate or another team to contest the election. And after I'd listened to him, so I was kind of almost in his camp. <laughs> but then on Wednesday, the Guardian published uh, our columnist Margaret Sullivan's column saying, stop fantasising and deal, deal with reality. It's going to be Biden against Trump. And so then she just kind of flung me back in the other direction. So basically you agreed just with did, the last person you yeah, read. pretty much. Um, <laughs> I just want to find someone who tells me that it's all going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I don't know who that is mm. at the moment. It was kind of tempting to fantasise, as, as she would put it, about different possibilities. But on the other hand, the arguments are there on the other side too. So, yeah, I don't know, but it's a good, it's an interesting debate and I would recommend her a column. Well, we'll put links to both those stories on the Full Story page. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lenore. Thanks, Gabs. Thanks, Mike. Thanks a lot. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Camilla Hannan and Daniel Simo. The executive producer is me, Gabrielle Jackson. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe or follow us. And if you feel like leaving a review, it really helps other people find us. And we like that. Full Story will be back with you on Monday. See you then. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.